Hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is Harrison. I'm the pastor here at Kingdom Church, and we are so happy you took the time to be with us for this message. It's a special one. We think you're going to enjoy it. So sit back, relax. Here it is. And we want you to know two things this morning, two things that we think can change everything. Number one, Jesus loves you. Anyone know that this morning? Jesus loves you. Number two, we love you as a church, and so we're willing to do whatever it takes for you to experience Jesus. And uh, we're just so happy you could be here this morning. Um, What I want to do as we get started, I want to read a passage of scripture that's going to kind of set the backdrop of what we're going to do this morning. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 30. Isaiah is an Old Testament book. And uh, it says this. It's just one verse. It says, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. The title of our message this morning, and uh, it'll kind of make sense as we push things together, is Home Field Advantage. Home Field Advantage. I want to encourage you guys, if you are a people that uh, you think that the Lord speaks, uh, I believe God speaks to us when we enter in these places like this. So I want to encourage you guys, take notes and uh, things are going to be on the screen behind me, but really just follow along. Uh, I just want to ask a question as we get started this morning. Has anyone in their life ever felt like you've been in a situation where something is unfair? Yeah. Anyone ever felt like you've been in an unfair situation before? Yeah. I, uh, I remember a few years ago, um, for a while, uh, uh, we, I was at a church, and we played in this church softball tournament. We played in it for like maybe three years, I think, two or three years. And uh, what you need to know about me is I'm very competitive. And uh, when I play sports, like, I don't play to lose. I play to win. Come on, somebody. Like, I don't believe in this whole we all win movement. You don't all win. There's one winner, one loser. And uh, the unfortunate thing about this church softball tournament is that more often than not, we were losers. Uh, like, I'm talking like every single game. And uh, I remember uh, in the one year we played it, there was this one game and how things worked out. It was the end of the round robin and uh, there was, this, there was a, a game between us and another team. And how fate had it, the winner of that game would be able to move on to the elimination round. And uh, mind you, like, I don't know how things worked out. That team was bad. We were bad. <laughs> and so they had to pick one of those bad teams to make it to the next round. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, for those of you guys who don't know how baseball, softball works, uh, there's always a home team. And a home team is super, super important in softball because the home team gets to bat last. And so how this this tournament worked was that before every single game, they would flip a coin to see who was the home team. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And so for this game, it was very interesting because the game started and then all of a sudden, the other team took the field as if they were the home team, but there wasn't a coin flip. And so I'll never forget this moment. I went over to the the tournament organizer, who's also a pastor, and I said to him, I said, hey, I was like, we never flipped a coin to see who's the home team. And I'll never forget it. He pulls me close. He puts his arm on my shoulder. He's like, Harrison, you know what? Just between you and us, you and me, those guys haven't won a game all day. We're going to give them the advantage. I think you guys are going to be okay. And he winked at me. And I got that, that they haven't won all day, Pastor, but neither have we. <laughs> and so it's, it's a church kind of thing, so I'm kind of going to play it cool. Um, let, him, let him be the home team, and, you know, let's hope that he's right. <clears throat> Fast forward, it's the last inning, and we're up by one after we bat. 
And now if we were the home team, the game would have ended and we would have moved on. However, they now have the advantage. And so they're the home team. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll never forget what happens. They have a runner on first base, we're up by one, and then all of a sudden this mammoth of a man comes to the plate. I'm like, this is a church softball tournament. What's Goliath doing here? But I'm like hoping our pitcher is going to be like David and just, you know, take down the giant. But things didn't really work out that way. And so first pitch, like I'm not joking, this guy crushed it like 400 feet. Like there's the fence. Like that ball didn't even look at the fence. Like it was just, it was gone. And in softball, that's called a walk-off home run. And uh, so this guy hit a walk-off softball home run to eliminate us from the tournament. And now at this point, like us, a few of us were kind of cheesed because we lost the game. And I know some of you guys are thinking, like, calm down. It's just a church, church softball tournament. To that, I say, you calm down. <laughs> if it's a church softball tournament, all that means is the Lord's will that we win this thing. And so we lost, and I was super disappointed because I felt like the other team had an unfair advantage. Like, I felt like it wasn't fair. I, I'm just, has anyone ever been in this situation you felt like it wasn't fair? It's like, and maybe you guys have your own sporty moment where like, that's not fair. It's not fair. Maybe it's like you look at people in life and it's like, man, those people have everything. It's like, how come they have everything and I'm just struggling to make ends meet? It's not fair. It's not fair. How come those guys' kids are perfect when my kids are always acting a fool? It's not fair. How come they can have kids when I'm struggling? It's not fair. Anyone ever felt like something's unfair before? You see, where I want to go this morning, I kind of want to take it a step further, and I want to ask this question. You see, here at Kingdom Church, we love having fun. It's the best summer ever, and it's going to continue to be the best summer ever because after service, we got donuts. It's a donut party. Come on, somebody. But in the midst of all the fun we like to have at Kingdom Church, I also, I also like to, to answer hard questions sometimes. And so what I want to dig in this morning, I want us to ask this question, because maybe you guys have felt like this before. I don't know if God is fair. I don't know if God is fair, because I don't think God acts in my life like he acts in other people's lives. Anyone ever felt like that before? Is God really fair? And that's where I want to go this morning. If we can put the verse up, I read at the start again from Isaiah chapter 30. It says again, it says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious. He exalts himself to show mercy and the Lord is a God of justice. You see, what's so interesting about this text is this is an Old Testament text and the prophet Isaiah who writes this, he's writing to a group of people that are being held captive as exiles. They've been taken from their homeland. They've been taken from everything that they know and they're literally living as prisoners. And he writes them this letter and this letter is literally a word from the Lord. And he lets them know three things. God is gracious, God is merciful, and God is just. In other words, God is fair. Now this must have been a tough pill to swallow because these guys are living as exiles. They're not where they want to be. Their life doesn't look like they think it should look like. And Isaiah says to him, hey, guess what? God is gracious, God is merciful, and God is full of justice. He's fair. The word is there, but then for a lot of us, is like our reality. It's like, yeah, that, that seems great, but I don't know if, if God really is fair. I just, I just don't know. Is God, and that must have been a tough pill to swallow. And for some of us, when I tell you God is a God of justice, that can be a tough pill to swallow. Because it's like this. I was with my friend last week, one of my best friends in the entire world. He's a social worker. And we were talking just about what he sees on a day-to-day -day basis. And for a lot of his job, he's working on reserves. 
And he's seen every single day kids, little kids, that are born into brokenness, born into drugs, born into alcohol. And when you look at this situation, when we start talking, it almost seems like, God, these people don't even have a chance. God, this just isn't fair. Anyone ever been there before? And it's like we can take it a step further. You see, for myself, I was born and raised in a Christian household. I was born going to church. I don't have a context without Jesus and church and God. But what about those people that are born into homes where they don't spend any, any time? They've never been to church. Maybe you're born into homes where people are atheists. Then it's like, God, do they really have a chance? God, are you really fair? You see, that's the question that I want to answer this morning. I want us to begin to answer the question, is God fair? Is God just? And understand this, I'm not coming here this morning saying I have all the answers to every single situation. But what I believe to be true is if the Bible tells us, if Isaiah tells us that God is just, he is merciful, he's gracious, then there should be clues in terms that can show us how and why God is actually what he says he is. And so this morning, as we begin to answer this question, I want us to skip ahead to the book of John which is a New Testament book. This is an Old Testament book. We're flying to the New Testament. Someone say, bye, Felicia. That's the Old Testament. Bye, Felicia. We're going to head to the New Testament, to the book of John. Because what I want us to do is I want us to begin to see how God works here. And so in the book of John, there are four men that we're going to look at. And through these four men's story, we're going to begin to sort of see how God begins to work. And we're going to answer this larger question, is God just? Because what I want to do this morning is I want to give hope to someone who feels like they cannot trust a God because of their circumstance or the circumstance of people around them. So in John chapter 1, this is Jesus and this is the story of the first four disciples. It says this. This is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John was saying and then he followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and he told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Now, this is all going to make sense as we move forward, but the reason I want to show you this short story is because I want us to see how God works. So most of us know Simon if we have any context with the Bible. We know him as Peter, so from here on out, we'll refer to him as Peter. And so how this story goes, Andrew is listening to this guy named John, and John is preaching. And so in layman's term, we can kind of say this. Andrew went to church... He heard a message, and he began to follow Jesus. And when he heard that message, he said to himself, oh my gosh, this, this guy is crazy. i got to go tell my brother. And so he goes and he tells Peter. That's their context. I want us to just, I'm just painting a picture here. Andrew listens to a sermon, becomes a follower of Jesus, and he goes and tells his brother Peter. Then it says this in verse 43. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, come follow me. Philip was, Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and he told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So listen, I need us to see some. In the last story, it was sort of like Andrew went to church. Andrew went to listen to John the Baptist. So he did all the right things. He was in all the right places and he experienced Jesus. There is something starkly different with the story of Philip. Does anyone know what it is? Jesus went and found Philip. It says Jesus decided to go. He found Philip. And he said, Philip, come and follow me. 
It's two different stories. It's God working in two different ways. But there's one common strand throughout it. As soon as Andrew finds Jesus, he tells Peter. As soon as, as, soon as Jesus finds Philip, Philip goes and tells Nathaniel. Just hold that thought for a second. You see, where I want us to go this morning, because I believe this to be true, when we look at these stories, for a lot of us, maybe we can relate to these stories. Maybe for some of us, it's like our background is like, man, I was born into this thing. Like I've been here forever, and it was just that one sermon, it was that one message, and it changed everything. That's the context. For some of us, though, maybe it's we're more like Philip. We're more like Philip, where it's like, man, you don't want to, you couldn't believe it. You want to hear my story. I was lost, and then I was found. I'm more like Philip. Jesus found me. You wouldn't believe where he found me. You wouldn't believe what he did in my life. There's some people up here saying, Pastor, just give me the mic and I'll start preaching. Because Jesus found me. It's different stories. We all have a different story. We all have a different background. Here's what I want us to see. This is the point I want us to get. In life, every single one of us has a different context. Write this one down. We all have a different context. You see, I think when it, when it comes to this idea of God being just and God being fair, our humanness, we would like every single person's story to be the exact same. I just wish everyone was born into church and had those family that stayed together and they ate dinner every night and they had a cottage on the lake. I just wish everyone's family was like that. It'd be so much easier. Then God would be fair. But here's the essence of it. Every single person has a different context. You have a different story. I have a different story. But the essence of what I think we do as people is we want to begin to use our context as a crutch. Listen to this. We want to use our context as a crutch. In other words, because of our circumstance or that person's circumstance, we want to use that to say that God is not fair. God is not just. But here is the beauty of Jesus, and I want us to understand this, write this down. With Jesus, context isn't a concern. Our context isn't a concern. And I'll explain that because for so many of us, I think it's just easy to say, no, 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 our context is a concern. It's like this. This last week, I was at the gym. I know you guys can tell. <laughs> I was at the gym this last week. When I'm at the gym, I like to listen to sermons because like, what else pumps you up, right? Uh, and I'm a pastor and that's my life. Uh, but I was listening to this message, and I was listening to this pastor, and he's one of the, I think, one of the greatest preachers uh, alive today, and I was listening to him, and it was really more of an interview, and uh, he was talking about the family that he came from. And he said, to, he was saying to the interview, he said, I'm a fifth-generation pastor. Not a fifth-generation Christian, I'm a fifth-generation pastor. My daddy was a pastor, my granddaddy, and so on and so forth. And so he was, and he was just saying, he was saying, man, my dad left me a legacy, and he was saying it wasn't necessarily what he ever taught us. It was just more so me being able to watch him. I traveled to 48 out of the 50 states to see my dad preach. And he said one thing that stuck out to me before he ever spoke a word in front of everyone. He was old school in front of our whole family. He would be on his knees for at least an hour at the side of the bed praying. And he was saying for me as a pastor now, this is the legacy that's been left behind. He's like, I have that to look to. And I'm listening to the sermon, and then I started to listen to my context. I started to think about my context. And I said to myself, man, my dad wasn't a pastor. He was a doctor, and there's blessings with that. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but my dad wasn't a pastor. And so I literally, I'm at the gym, and I had this moment, and I'm like, man, how can I do anything? Like, how can I be like this guy? Because I don't have that context. I don't have that person to look up to. I'm a first-generation pastor. I'm just making this thing up as I go. 
Like, what do I have? And I'm telling you, this is just, this is the honest truth. I said to myself, God, this isn't fair. That's what I need. That's what I want. And I think that's what a lot of us do. God, that isn't fair. But the Lord spoke to me and he said something so profound. He said, Harrison, he said, that's not your story. He said, I don't want that to be your story. He said, your story is going to be remarkably different than his story. He said, you want to know your story? And God sort of gave me a picture of it. He said, you're going to be a first generation pastor. He said, and you're going to be that person that the next generation looks to. You're going to be the person that your twin daughters look up to. Come on, somebody. He said, that's going to be you. Because before there's a fifth, there has to be a first. That's just not your story. You're right, and we start complaining, but listen to this, friends, and I'm not getting on my family because my family left us a generation of faith. We grew up in church. I wouldn't be here without them, but for so many of us, we want to use our context as a crutch for why we can't do something, for why God is not fair. But listen to this, every single one of us have a different context. Andrew's story was different than Philip's story. But this is what I need us to see because what binds both of these stories, Andrew and Philip, is that when the God of the universe comes into their life, when Jesus comes into their life, the very first thing that they do is they go and tell someone else. That's the first thing that they do. When Jesus comes into your life, listen to this, friends. If you're asking yourself, like, how do I know God's in me right now? You can't contain it. That's how you know. And you're going to have to tell someone else. But listen to this, because we're asking the question, is God just? Is God fair? God, where are you? Where are you? Here's what I believe to be true. And this is God's answer to why doesn't every single one of us, why aren't we all born in the same place? Why does some of us come from hurt and brokenness? You know what God did? You know what God is doing? He chose you. He chose you in your context for a reason. What does that mean? Some of us are sitting here right now and you're thinking of your family. And it's like, Pastor, if you knew my family, they're all crazy. Like I'm the, <laughs> like I'm the only one close to church. Like the rest of my clan, they're not even smelling it. But listen, so, and, and, and we want to say to ourselves, God, what are you doing about that? God, what are you doing about that? I'll tell you what God is doing. God chose you. He said, I'll tell you what I'm doing. You're here right now. I'm sending you there. Listen to this, church. You got someone in your office like, man, that girl is crazy. Like, she just talks every single day. She needs Jesus. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to pray for her. Well, God, what are you doing for her? God puts you in that office. You thought you had that job for your salary? No, no, no. You're there for Jesus. God chose you. How do we know God is for, for my friend on the reserve? God, what are you doing on this reserve? Hey, guess what? God sent you. God sent you to be that face. God sent you to be that love. God sent you to be that picture of Jesus. How do we know God is fair? God sent you. God, what are you doing in Africa when there's people dying of thirst? There's a famous story of a guy and he saw a picture in Africa and he said to himself, he said, if all this person needs is water and God does not bring this person water, I will not believe in that God. Friends, I'm here to suggest to you this. God did bring them water, and he's given them a solution, and the solution is us. The solution is the church. It's the worldwide church, and it's us here at Kingdom Church. That brokenness in downtown Edmonton, what is God doing about it? He sent us. People that need help here, he sent us. You see, with God, our context isn't a concern. I love how, how, how in 2 Peter, 
He puts it like this. Peter says this. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I need you to understand this verse. If we can get it on the screen, if it's working. 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Because listen to this. Some of us are saying to ourselves, like, man, if God was real, if God was just, he would start answering these prayers. He would do something about brokenness. He would do something about my school, because that place is secular and no one believes in anything. God sent you. Touch the person next to you say, God sent you. You see, it's easy to look behind us like, God sent who? God sent you. He sent you. And look what he says. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. No, no, no. In fact, God is patient with you. God's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to act. He's waiting on you to move. The Lord is not slow. And look, I love the beauty. He says, he says God's will is that no one shall perish, but everyone shall come to repentance. Repentance means a complete turnaround. That's what the word means, literally. Just visualize. I don't want to get dizzy. God's will is that every single life be turned around 360. You know what he's doing and how he chose you. He chose you in your context. He chose you in your brokenness. He chose you in your pain. And we believe this to be true, friends. If God is Lord, he is Lord over. He's Lord over brokenness. He's Lord over pain. He's Lord over heartbreak. He's Lord over. He's bigger than it. He, he sees the bigger picture. So listen to this, friends. For so many of us, context is a concern, but I want to suggest this. Write this one down. For Jesus, God is going to use our context to bring others into the kingdom. He's going to use our context to bring others into the kingdom, and I need you guys to clap your hands like you believe it. And not just because I told you. He's going to use your story. He's going to use your brokenness. He's going to use your pain. And listen to this, because some of you guys are sitting there like, Pastor, like, I'm still pretty gangster. Anyone feel like that? It's like, I'm saved. Like, I love Jesus, but like, I'm still kind of gangster. Anyone feel that? Like, I feel that sometimes. It's like, Lord, there's still a part of me that's like, I'm kind of not saved in that part yet. Listen, God is going to use that part to bring someone else to Jesus. That, that, that thing that you struggle with right now, you're like, why can't I get it over? It's because the Lord is going to use that to bring someone else to him. Our context isn't a concern because Jesus is Lord over, because Jesus is bigger than. He's bigger than. That's the first C is context. And so we're going we're gonna to focus mainly on Philip as we close. Philip invites his buddy, Nathaniel. He's like, he's like Nathaniel, Nat, like, bro, you got to see Jesus. You got to see what this guy can do. And Jesus is from a small place called Nazareth. It's a small town. And so Philip responds, or, or sorry, uh, Nathaniel responds to Philip, and he says this in verse 46. He says, Nazareth? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Like Jesus from there? He's from that small town? He's from that small place? Here's the second C I want to talk about. And I think this C holds us, so many of us back from, especially from using our context for the kingdom. The second C I want to talk about is concept. It's concept. You see, I think for so many people, Christians especially, what holds us back from sharing Jesus is we're worried about other people's concept of Jesus. In other words, it's like if I share it, because I got, okay, God, I get it. I'm in this place for a reason. 
Like my context is for a reason. But God, what if I start sharing you and people think I'm crazy? Come on, I, I talk to you guys. I know how you guys think. These are real conversations word for word. I don't want to share Jesus. I really don't want to offend people. I don't want people to think that I'm that person that always invites them. I don't want people to think that I'm that person that loves Jesus like crazy. Anyone, you guys feel that? Come on, somebody. You see, for so many of us, what happens is our concept holds us back from sharing Jesus. I'll just share real life struggles that I have. And I come up here all the time and I usually get down on social media. Like it's the devil's playground and you know what happens on their comparison, all that stuff. And I do believe that social media is the devil's playground, but I also believe that Jesus, listen to this friends, Jesus is so much bigger than the devil. And so what the devil wants to use to kill and to destroy, God can also use it for good. Come on somebody. And so for me, one thing that I struggle with, I'm just gonna be real. I truly believe there is power in social media for the gospel. There's power in reaching people through it. But one thing I struggle with all the time on my personal account is sharing things. It's inviting people. It's posting stuff. And the reason I struggle is because I'm like, man, if I start sharing these things, like, what are people going to think about me? Because I was that cool guy at one time. Like, I can't lose that. I got 996 friends on Facebook, 10 in real life. <laughs> and so it's like, man, I can't share this because what are people going to think about me? I don't want to like this because what are people going to think about me? Listen, I believe there is power and I've read stories of transformation that happened online. I read a story like three months ago, no, three weeks ago, I should say, about a girl and she's like, man, my friend shared a post and I came to the church for the first time and now I come here every single week. And then there's me, the pastor of this church, and I'm too afraid to share things because of people's concepts of me. Well, I don't want to tick them off. I don't want to lose any of my followers. I don't want people to ignore me. I, this week on Facebook, I got three uh, page invite likes. You guys ever get those? And one like that I got was someone's landscaping company. And uh, like, if I have landscaping work, I'm still not going to like your page. But the Lord spoke to me in that moment, because then I just ignored it. I'm not, come on, you guys all do that. <laughs> but I just, I just ignored it. And, and then the Lord spoke to me in that moment. He said, you know what? He said, you know what, Harrison? He said, this guy is more bold about his landscaping company than you are with the gospel. Because he doesn't care what you think. He's just out here grinding. And listen to this, because we have news that is so much better than a landscaping company. And if he's listening to this, I'm not saying your company sucks. But we have news uh, about Jesus and a gospel that can actually and literally change people's lives. And we're too afraid to share stuff. We're too afraid to say anything because I don't want people's concept of me to change. I don't want people's concept of me to change. But listen to this, friends. Guess what? You may lose a follower. Someone may block you. Someone may unfollow you. Guess what? Jesus had 12. You'll be all right. You don't need 969. I'm actually really want to get to 1,000 because I think it'd be cool. But... <laughs> so I'm just like adding random people. <laughs> like, yeah, I met you once. But listen, and I'm not saying you're going to, but we just cannot be afraid to, we can't be afraid of people's concepts of us because literally what we have can change the world. And the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario is that someone says no. Best case scenario, lives are changed forever. That person you work with, worst case scenario, and that person talks about Jesus a lot, they're kind of weird.
Best case scenario, lives are changed. Philip says, man, just, this is what he says. John chapter one. He says, come and see for yourself. Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? Philip's like, just come check it out. Just come see for yourself. Listen to this, friends. If some of you guys are like, I don't know how to share Jesus. I said the first place to start, you don't know what to say, invite someone to church. I believe this to be true, an undeniable truth, that people's lives are changed in this place. I said people's lives are changed in this place. I'm not going to tell you to clap your hands again, but you should be clapping your hand. People's lives are changed in this place. And so he says, come and see for yourself. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our job is literally just to give people a chance to taste and see. Because get this, everyone's context is not going to be in church. And that's fine because God chose you in that context, in that place, at that school, in that family, in that brokenness, in that pain for a reason. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We all have a context. But when we follow our context, we can begin to change people's concepts of who Jesus is. Yeah. Instead of running from our context, what if we began to lean into it? And say, God, why am I here right now? God, why am I backpacking for a year around the world trying to find myself? God, why, do I, why, why am I unemployed right now? You're there for a reason. That's a context. But God wants to use your context to change someone else's concept of who he is. Listen to this, friends. I had a revelation this week. I was saying that I pray every single day, God, like, fill me with your spirit. God, help me to just, just lead me, fill me, direct me. But one thing that I began to realize is that as God was leading me with his spirit, I was ignoring it a lot, like the majority of the time. Like all the time, I'm just like, when I drive by people on the road and they're pulled over, like I feel the spirit say like, hey, just go help them out. But I like hit the gas a little bit harder. <laughs> Gotta go. And so I just, I had a revelation. I said, I said, God, whatever the spirit leads me this week, if there is something that happens in my life, I want to follow it. I want, I want to lean into it. I, I'm just going to listen and obey. I believe in this story that Philip was leaning into the spirit. And the spirit said, hey, you got to go to Nathaniel. It might not be comfortable. He might make fun of you, which he did and he does. But lean into it. Just lean into it. Friends, I believe this to be true. If we begin to lean into the Holy Spirit, lean into what God is doing, we will begin to see remarkable things. We will begin to see God moving and doing things in, in ways that we can never dream or hope or even imagine. This is what happens. It says, come see for yourself. It says that as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. So in other words, Nathaniel comes there and Jesus starts talking about him. Nathaniel's like, you never met me before. It's like, how do you know this about me? Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. In other words, he's like, yeah, Philip invited you, but I, already, I knew you before that. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus is like, huh, you believe this just because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Brah. Someone say brah. You haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. Listen to this, friends. What if Philip was too afraid to introduce Nathaniel to Jesus? Yeah. 
because of what people would say, because of what he would say. He never would have had this interaction. He never would have had this interaction where Jesus speaks into his life. But there's something that I want us to see in this story that can help us and it can change us. And it's our final seat. You see, for so many of us, we have this fear about context and people's concepts. Where it's like, man, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm just not sure. This is what I believe to be true. Jesus always makes the first contact. Jesus always makes the first contact. You see, Philip, when he was leaning into the spirit, he thought that he was telling Nathaniel about Jesus, something completely new. But then Jesus says, hey, I saw you before this. This is, in layman's term, God gets there first. So many of us are worried. I don't know what, God gets there first. God goes before you. God's planting seeds in your family. God's planting seeds at your work. God's planting seeds at your school. He goes before you. It's like this. Christy and I, this last week, we were at a car dealership. And uh, when we got to the dealership, because, you know, we got twins coming. Come on, somebody. We got twins coming, and uh, so we're just looking at, like, you know, is my car viable? And so we went to this, this uh, dealership. And when we got there, uh, Christy ran into someone that she went, uh, that she grew up with, someone from Ashcroft, BC, like small town Ashcroft. Like, what good can come from Ashcroft? <laughs> Amen. That's just like, people said like Nazareth, right? That's like Ashcroft, like it's small. But we're at this dealership and we're there for a car. Christy runs into this girl, whatever, whatever. We're there for a car, nothing really else. And then at the end of this conversation, uh, with the car stuff, um, she just says to us, she's like, hey, she's like, you guys started a church, right? She's like, I I've seen this stuff that Christy's been sharing on Facebook. And she says something so interesting. She said, yeah, like, I've really felt lately like me and my fiance should start going to church. And then I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And then uh, luckily I had an invitation card. You guys see those invitation cards in your chairs? They're not just there to make things look fancy. It says on the bottom, you are invited. It's not for you, because if you're here, why do you need to be invited? Those cards are for you to take and to give to someone. And so thankfully, someone say, praise the Lord, I had an invitation card with me. And I gave her this card. And when we left, I asked Christy a question. I said, hey, Chris, I said, did she like grow up going to church? Like, did she have a background in church? And Christy's like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, man, that's so interesting. Because like, why all of a sudden, like, does she want to go to church? And then somehow we're there at just the right time. What if, come on, some, what if God gets there first? Yeah. I don't think anyone's listening. What if God gets there first? Yeah. Listen, that situation you're so worried about, I don't know what to say. God's already there. If that person's on your heart right now, God is already there. He makes the first contact. Yeah. And that's the beauty. Chris, did she have a background? No. But God got there first, and then he sent us. God gets there first. Galatians chapter 4, I love this verse. It says, when the right time came, God sent his son. Yeah. Speaking about Jesus. It's this idea, come on, is God just? Is God fair? God, what are you doing about brokenness? Galatians, this is Paul. He says, Jesus came at just the right time. Just the right time. I invite the worship team up because we're really, really closing now. At just the right time, God sent his son born of a woman. Listen to this. Another, another translation puts it like this, and I love it. It says, at just the right time, at just the right time, 
that situation in your life, friends, what if we began to believe that God is going to do things at just the right time? He gets there first. He gets there first. He makes the first contact. Listen, friends, at the very beginning, I told you that this title is called Home Field Advantage. Why is it called Home Field Advantage? That sounds weird. You see, with Home Field Advantage, how it goes in baseball is that the team that bats last, and I've explained this already, is the team that can, they can walk off, right? It, it, that's just how it is. You see, with God, what I believe to be true is that we always have the home field advantage. Because there's certain situations where it may feel like darkness is winning, it may feel like the devil's winning, like depth is winning, like despair is winning, but we have home field advantage. And what that means is with God, the story's not over because he sent you. And he sends his son and his son's name was Jesus. And because of Jesus, each and every one of us has free and eternal life. And because we have eternal life, because of his goodness, we can live forever in his kingdom. And he wants to bring everyone there. And what's he doing about it? What's he doing about brokenness, pain? He sent you. He, he brought us here to plant Kingdom Church because we're about to change St. Albert forever. We're about to change Edmonton forever. We're about to change Alberta forever. We're gonna start believing that God's got here first. We planted this church last September. We're a year away from our one year. It's gonna be amazing. But way before we ever planted, God got here first. And he's been planting seeds for just the right time. And I believe as we push forward, the right time's coming. It's coming. If we could just stand, we're gonna close. Every single week, we give people the opportunity to respond to Jesus. You see, this morning, if God has been speaking to you, if God's been working in your life, we want to give you the chance to respond to him by giving your life to Jesus. It's just super simple. It's the first step we take in our Christian journey. It's just saying, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be in charge. For some of us, we're going to make this decision today. We've never made it. For some of us, it's a recommitment. But what we're saying is, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to give my life to you. If that's, right, if that's you right now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not here to call you out. This is between you and the Lord. We want you to respond. We want you to just say, God, I'm going to lean into your spirit right now. If your spirit is speaking, every single one of us who are followers of Jesus, we're praying for you right now. We're praying that your spirit fill this place up. If there's someone right now, you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to just count down from three. And on one, just show me your hand. It's super simple. In three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, as a church, let's pray together. Everyone say, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that at just the right time, you sent Jesus for me. God, I pray today that you take who I was and turn me into who I'm meant to be. God, I give you my wins. I give you my losses. And I give you my sins. God, I pray this morning you make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody, let's clap our hands. Let's clap our hands. 
Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you want more information, head over to our website. We're so honored that you listen with us. But if you live near us in our area, we would love to see you in person. So head over to our website, connect with us, and we'll be sure to connect with you. We'll see you soon.